Welcome to Roundhill Radio, the podcast from Roundhill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Welcome to Roundhill Radio. I'm Leslie. I'm Ed. Hi, Ed. <laughs> Hi, Leslie. How are you? I'm good. So we wanted to approach today sort of looking back at what what we had intended on talking about today. Um, and then the world had other plans. So yeah. why don't you start us off, Ed? I'm happy to do that. I'm at least willing to do that. Uh, how's that? <laughs> That's enough for today. Yes, yes. You know, last week was another reminder to me that when usually when you're a seminary student and you're taking a class on preaching or some such thing, usually the first thing the pre you know the the preaching professor will say is no matter what I tell you about preparation, just remember that sometimes world events come along and they will change everything that you thought you wanted to do. So. Last week was yet another example of that, and I and I do think actually that um, you know over the over the recent years, sadly, we've had many of those kinds of events where they they call out for interpretation and reflection, and that's that's another kind of preaching. It may not be the preaching that happens in a pulpit, but it might involve a statement or a reflection. So, I thought Leslie that what I would do is before we engage a little bit more directly the events of last week and how we were how we chose to respond to that um you know we we did have our preaching plans we had our worship series plan in place did we not we, we were did and it which felt like an achievement unto itself it did everything we we're like we have a we have multiple weeks where we know what we're doing in worship i know we yeah, were we shouldn't so have... proud of ourselves we shouldn't have said that or thought it, right? We jinxed, I think we jinxed it a little bit. <laughs> you know, how often did I hear last year, don't plan very far in advance, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, we didn't plan too far in advance, but no. it, it goes to show that you don't have to go very far to still have to make some adjustments. So our dream was to use the first seven weeks or so of 2021 for a worship series that we called Growing Through Grace or Growing With Grace. Why did we do that? Well, part of the reason we did is that it just seemed after such an awful year in 2020 to be talking about grace. Wasn't that an attractive idea? I mean, it seemed like a great idea at the time. Absolutely. It felt reinvigorating. It did, right? And and the notion that you you know you can that we can still grow at this time spiritually intellectually emotionally all of that just seemed really really right and we and we did get started um we had one week <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then yes so i guess one thing before also before going forward i would say is i i still very much love this idea of growing with grace because mm -hmm. to me this is what it means to grow as a human person. That, to me, that's my vision. You know, how can I be ever more gracious? And, and actually, what does it mean to be gracious? And how do we explore that? It's such a multi-sided question. And the word grace, though small, has many, many nuances in it, right? Mm -hmm. So I still think that we're looking forward to doing that as 2021 uh, evolves. However, last Wednesday afternoon, uh, Susan, my wife and I had decided to take a walk 
And just as I was coming back into the house uh, after the walk, I, I decided to check my phone. And here were all of these feeds coming through about the events taking place in Washington, DC in the Capitol building. <clears throat> and the first image that I saw Leslie, I will never forget it. It was the image of people storming the Capitol building by crawling, not repelling, but physically crawling up, climbing up the walls of that building. Nothing in my, my experience over the years could have prepared me to see that. And I think in some ways I'll never quite get my mind around it. Uh, but there it was. And it only became more alarming as I saw more and more images. So, of course, we turned on the television and were pretty much uh, glued to it for the rest of the evening. And I guess my short take on this is that I could anything have been farther in its meaning from the dreams that we had for our little worship series in 2021? You know, everything that I witnessed going on inside the Capitol building that afternoon and evening was about the utter absence of grace. Yeah. Um, there was no sense of gracious outreach or understanding. We obviously have a very strong and noble tradition in our country of protest. And we live and breathe by, by protest, especially peaceful protest. And uh, we saw a lot of peaceful protests this past summer during the Black Lives Matters movement. Uh, there were criticisms at the time about those who also used that occasion to riot and to loot, but those, those, mean, those, those marches were overwhelmingly uh, peaceful. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this was an event that I think in Washington certainly looked like it started off as, as a demonstration that was peaceful. And I think it's important to say that most people there that day didn't seem to engage uh, in, in direct violence, but the, the day turned overwhelmingly ugly. Mm -hmm. And the whole tenor of what was happening around the Capitol building, just to me, my greatest fear is that it was going to lead to widespread bloodshed. And, uh, and very tragically, five people died during those events. Uh, one other officer actually has also died today. I'm not sure about the causes of that, whether that was also connected. So perhaps a sixth person has died as a result. And um, to see the way in which the mob entered the building, overran the police, threatened and frightened everybody there, destroyed property, desecrated the building. I, I think in every way, it, it was an attack in so many ways on so many things, but certainly an attack on grace mm -hmm. and gracious behavior. Yeah, I, th I think you're, what you've said is absolutely true. And I think you, know, you and I were texting a little bit after that about just about it in general. And I, I think I said that I, I was sort of oscillating, vacillating between sort of despair and anger mm. um, and just, and, and not knowing where and how to process these feelings. Um, yes. And, and, and as you say, the, the response there was so different from that that we saw this summer um 
and and the the hatred and the vitriol that we saw of this mob mentality is just so frightening that it was so um it was it was it was shocking in a way that was somehow not surprising mm-hmm. um you know i think i saw <laughs> i saw some language flying around that said well that escalated over the last four years Hmm. Um, in the sense of that, this is, I feel like this anger has been something that's been slowly building and, and slowly finding oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. um, In a way where I feel like reconciliation, understanding, listening, um, has taken a back seat. Grace has taken a back seat. Right. Um and it's it's uh it's not really a world I I want to be a part of. So finding what we can that is um our own corners to become together as community and to give each other grace and to find grace and to extend grace. Right. I think um is how you know we can start to find a, a kernel of truth and God's love in all of this. Right. Yeah. Um, I I too feel that these these events are the are the fruits. You could say I hesitate to use that word because I see fruit as a positive thing, but these are the fruits of of a very of many many years leading to this leading to this time, right? We have sensed a polarization and divisiveness in our national life now for many years. And uh, one book that I really would recommend, um, and and I'm sad to say that I'm not going to be able to to pull up the name of the author, but the book is called Strangers in Their Own Land. And um, I actually heard an interview the other day with the author, and she was saying that she's from California, and uh, she decided as a journalist to reach out to people in Louisiana, different part of the country, and also reaching out to people of a different political persuasion and a different spirituality, different spiritual context from her. So different in almost every other way, in every way. And what's really beautiful about the book is how patiently and lovingly she asks questions about their lives and gets to know them and really gets to befriend them. And they, and they her. So it becomes a two-way street. And uh, she begins to understand in in such a powerful way what drives and motivates their lives. And they also had a chance to understand what drives and motivates her. And they are not close together (laughs) on very many issues at all. But in the end of it, you know, there was a recognition of a common humanity and some common concerns about about family and loved ones in the future. And I thought, what a marvelous thing that this woman took this time out of her life, several years to develop that relationship. And also what a marvelous thing that these people who were so different from her took time in their lives to open themselves up to her. You know, I think with some genuine fear that she might ridicule them and use information against them. But in her book, she is, uh, she's very measured. And uh, so I, I think that there are some good examples of people who are trying to reach out across difference. And we're gonna need that in every possible way in the years to come. 
So I think the classic way that people have done that, right, is mostly one-on-one, you know, getting it, getting a, a chance to, to connect. Of course, none of that connection was possible on Wednesday because the violence was in the air. And I think one, one moment of grace I have thought about uh, has to do with all the people who were the uh, actually members of Congress themselves and also the congressional staffers who were ushered to safety by security detail and others who happened to be in the building who did everything in their power to guide them to safe places, help them to shelter in place, instructed them to throw furniture in front of the the doors where they were hiding. Um, It's so sad to think that some of those individuals in hiding had to either text or call loved ones to say, I might be saying goodbye to you. Um, I mean, it's almost unthinkable to realize that that would happen in that in that way, in that event. But I do see some real, there was a lot of courage, I think, that it took for people to place themselves in harm's way so that other people could be safe. And I think that is a kind of grace that is a resilient, right, and tough kind of grace. But it's um, it's just the human instinct to reach out and protect other people. So we we did see that. And I, I think we can applaud that. And we're going to have to look hard, you know, in the coming weeks and listen hard to see if there are other moments that will emerge. Um, so that's that's part of what I felt on that day. Absolutely. And I have found so much encouragement and solace and positivity for, I suppose, lack of a better word, from the different responses I've been hearing from Mm. from from leaders and from you um your message that you sent out on thursday um to me was i think exactly what my heart needed to hear so just on a personal Mm. level thank you for that um Mm. i she would be okay with me saying this so i was actually talking to my mother about it i was saying (laughs) i was telling her i need to edit i have to edit this video i gotta get it out this is this is important um and she understandably wondered why we you mm-hmm. felt mm-hmm. it was important to respond to this mm. to this to this to this day um, yeah. and so i wondered if you you talk about that a little bit well first of all i love your mother's question i think it it's like the un, it's the question that's unasked right that sounds like it's a really obvious thing and why isn't anybody asking that why do we feel compelled to make a statement i mean that so often happens in our world right everyone seems like they it's almost like we live in this world where hey here's a microphone you know speak to the world what do you want to say right i guess leslie uh, what i would say is that we we often hear within the especially within the life of the church that we have to practice what we preach and that's uh, to avoid hypocrisy right so we bring our our preaching and our practice into alignment but i actually heard someone say many years ago why don't we ever flip that around to say it's just as important to preach what we practice mm-hmm. and i have loved that line over the years because we're often reticent about proclaiming in public what we believe you know we god forbid that we force our values on anyone else you know even if our values are compassion kindness mercy grace and so on uh we tend not especially in new england we tend not to want to say much about our personal values the major problem with that is that then people really don't know what drives our actions 
And these hopefully noble virtues are never really discussed in a public forum. So I think part of what my desire was, and actually I'll, I'll share with you, Leslie, that so there was one really good thing that happened is that if you had not been doing these kinds of recordings with us for the last 10 months, I don't know what we, I might've wanted to say many things and I wouldn't have been able to say any of them. <laughs> so, um, so that's the first thing. So thank you for making it possible for us to do that. Um, the other thing is I actually formed my thoughts while I was watching the news. So I was going back through many, many stations, getting many different perspectives, trying to listen, you know, in some quantitative way to a lot of different voices. And here and there, I would pick up a, a comment or a phrase, or I would see an image that would stay with me. And over the evening, until the early hours of the morning, I just continued to think about, so what would I say about this? And that's how the message was formed. And then... Um, I thought it was so important to say, to call out what I had seen. This was an act of desecration. It was encouraged by some of our elected officials and, and it was encouraged using social media, public speeches, physical gestures, all of that's on record. And that's been a large part of the discussion in the last week has been how those, you know, those individuals fomented this event and, and encouraged and egged it on. But uh, it also gave an opportunity to say, look, this is, this is a time for us to do our own level of soul searching, especially as a church, and to identify the values we want to lift up and consecrate. So I think that it, it felt right to preach what we practice as well as to call us to practice what we preach. And uh, Leslie, there's one thing I also want to say that isn't directly related to your mother's question, but it has to, it has to do with the word desecration. Mm -hmm. You know, I see the Capitol building. It, I mean, it's been called the, the temple of democracy, you know, or the citadel of democracy. And um, I remember the poet Wendell Berry saying once, there are only sacred places and desecrated places. And his argument was, in a sense, all places can be sacred, but they can be desecrated. Mm -hmm. And by, by the way that we behave when we're on holy ground, all ground is holy, mm -hmm. but we can make it unholy in a sense through our actions, or we, can, or we can deny its holiness would be a better way of saying it. And that's really what happened to me in the Capitol. It was a desecration of a treasured public space that's been so special because it's a place that people can walk through freely, have access, you know, and all kinds of discussions are taking place between elected officials and journalists and staffers. And, um, that that space was desecrated. But I do want to thank your mother for her question. And I hope that that helps to, to, to frame a little bit about the decision about why we chose to make a statement that we wanted to elevate publicly our values, because if we don't stand up and state what they are, who knows what we're thinking. Absolutely. And uh, that was a moment for doing that. So we're in the midst, I would say, of kind of figuring out how we feel about it as individuals and 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 sort of making sense of all of this does it tie back into our grace conversation right you know when you've had a, a violent intrusion in the national life it sort of sort of feels like all other conversations have suddenly been stopped right and I think the one thing we want to make sure uh, that we do because otherwise we'll be giving even more 
credence and support for those who damaged our national life last Wednesday is to make sure we stay on point about the things that matter most to communities of faith. And back when we started our idea about creating a worship series of Growing with Grace, one of the one of the biblical passages that really came to mind almost immediately was one from the Gospel of Luke. And it's it's basically the only description we have of Jesus' childhood slash teenage years. And the only comment that's made is that Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. That's basically it. But actually, I love it very much because here's a, here's a person, Jesus, who undoubtedly comes from a mostly impoverished family and living in an occupied country. And yet, he found favor. He, he experienced grace somehow in the midst of that. And I certainly think that we're going, this is a time when the church really needs to center itself in its values and in its virtues. And, uh, you know, I remember hearing a comment from Martin Luther King Jr. He said once, you know, thank God that Jesus said you have to love your enemies, but didn't say you have to like them. So, <laughs> You know, maybe we can find it in the depths of our hearts, you know, to, to continue to reach out in love uh, to the world around us and even to those who've damaged it, because certainly Jesus did that in his own life. But we also have to, to say that the world will only continue to grow in wisdom like Jesus grew if we can find a way to help help make that happen graciously. And uh, so the one person I want to give a little bit of a shout out to here is a man named Coleman McCarthy. Uh, he used to be a writer for the Washington Post, and I guess, uh, or for a major newspaper. And when there was some downsizing, he was part of what got downsized. And so over the years, he had this great passion for nonviolence. So people went to him and said, so Coleman, why don't you go into schools and start teaching about um, you know, journalism. And he said, no, I don't want to, I don't want to teach journalism. He said, I'd rather teach peace. And that became the title of a book that he wrote. I'd rather teach peace. I think Coleman McCarthy is around 85 or 86 right now. He is still, he still rides a bicycle. He still teaches in public schools and in universities and in law schools. He has dedicated himself to being a force for good in that way. I think this is the time for the church to step up and step out into the world and realize that these values we cherish are too precious for us to hold on to for ourselves. They're meant to be distributed and shared. And that's the only way we're going to potentially come into conversation with people who see the world differently uh, from us. And that's the only way that we'll have an opportunity to engage them. So I think that this, the worship series, Growing with Grace, may have some juice left in it, uh, especially if we can find ways to, to carry that discussion forward in the wider, wider realm and, and to lift up our voices. Does that make sense uh, you know, to think about that at this time? Absolutely. And I'm very encouraged by this idea that even Jesus had to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that great? I love that. That's yep. wonderful that we all have room to grow. Even <laughs> Jesus 
even room for improvement. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and there's one, there's one aspect of this that uh, I always have to be careful to, to remember that when I talk about Jesus loving his enemies, of course, he counseled people to do that. When he was being crucified, uh, he reached out in a merciful way from the cross, which seems unimaginable. However, he wasn't able to do it himself. He, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, to me, that's a recognition that in his own heart, I mean, given the brutality he was experiencing, this wasn't necessarily something he could do himself. So he really had to reach out for God's assistance. And I think during these days, we may feel our lives so full of anger and grief and lament that it's going to be hard for us to feel gracious and be gracious. Maybe we need to do what Jesus did, which is to say, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. And even if they do know what they're doing, forgive them and and help them to move in a new way and live a different life. And uh, so I, I think that's that's my hope for us at this time so that we can also stay, keep our spirits supple. You know, we don't want to be hardened by events like this. Well, thank you, Ed. I really appreciate um, this time and your thoughts on this. I find it all really helpful and I hope it has been helpful for our audience and we will see you all again next week. Thanks, Leslie. Blessings. Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Round Hill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillcommunitychurch.org.